A reading from the first letter of St. John. Children, let no one deceive you. The person who acts in righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Whoever sins belongs to the devil, because the devil has sinned from the beginning. Indeed, the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is begotten by God commits sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin, because he is begotten by God. In this way, the children of God and the children of the devil are made plain. No one who fails to act in righteousness belongs to God nor anyone who does not love his brother. Verbum Domini. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wondrous deeds. His right hand has won victory for him, his holy arm. Let the sea and what fills it resound, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, the mountains shout with them for joy before the Lord. The Lord comes. He comes to rule the earth. He will rule the world with justice and the peoples with equity.
Dominus vobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii secundum Ioannem. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched, Jesus walked by. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them follow him, following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Verbum Domini. It was in 1952 that a four-year-old girl by the name of Aunt Teresa O'Neill, who was born in Baltimore, was diagnosed with advanced leukemia, 1952. This was often seen as uh, there was no cure for this. And so doctors tried every type of treatment possible but she only grew more sick. The case was considered hopeless, and the little girl suffered terribly and couldn't eat. All of the signs were that she would die soon, and the doctors told her parents that probably within two weeks she would die. But the supervisor of the nuns at St. Agnes Hospital, where the little girl was, had a great devotion to today's saint, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. And she had a novena prayer that she gave to the mother, and she also encouraged her to give it to relatives and friends to pray a novena to Mother Seton. She also had a relic of Mother Seton, had been touched to the relics, a cloth, that was pinned to the little girl's hospital gown. And during that novena, that little girl began to improve. She eventually sat up, began to eat. And a month later, she was discharged from the hospital. <clears throat> At the age of 53, she, her husband, and her children attended the canonization of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in 1975. She was the miracle that led to the approval uh, by the Holy Father, Pope Paul VI, for the 
for her canonization. I always am interested in what was the miracle that led to particular saints' canonizations. And so Elizabeth Ann Seton is an intercessor to Jesus. And you know, when I was home last week with uh, my mother, uh, one of the things that we enjoyed doing at night was driving around the farm country and the little towns to see the lights, the Christmas lights, but to see how many nativity scenes we could find and to just admire the different uh, ways that people would express their faith and the incarnation and uh, different ways that the churches too, some of the churches too. When I was in Mexico, they'd set up an entire village, you know, and they would have flashing lights to uh, kind of bring home just the celebratory uh, spirit of this time that we're in. So we're still in the Christmas season. And it's all because of that, that we can celebrate someone like St. Elizabeth Ann Seton it was his work in her. It was because God joined himself to our humanity that we can live a divine life and that we're called to be with him forever and to be a member of this great cloud of witnesses that the letter to the Hebrews speaks of who are also intercessors, interceding for one another seeing the saints as our older brothers and sisters who have walked the same difficult path in many ways in their own lives. Elizabeth Ann Seton lost her mother, I think, when she was only three years old. She was a wife, a mother, and a widow, a widow by the age of 29. And her husband, getting tuberculosis, they travel over to Italy. There was a Catholic family there that they knew of. Elizabeth at the time was Episcopalian. But encountering the Catholic faith there just had such an impact. He, when her husband died over there, he was buried there. And she and her daughter spent four months with the Felici family. And there she came to encounter the presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. You know, they have a national shrine to Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, where she did much of her work, Emmitsburg, Maryland. And the director there, the executive director, said, people don't think of her as a Eucharistic saint, but she absolutely was. And that was one of the things that led her to embrace the Catholic faith, even amidst much opposition from her own family. And yet she knew, as today's opening prayer said, that with, she, was with, she had burning zeal to find you. May we always seek you too with diligent love and find you in daily service with sincere faith. So listen to some of the words of Elizabeth Ann Seton. So this is from... I think it's a letter from her journal when she was in Italy before she had become Catholic. And she wrote, My sister, how happy we would be if we believe what these dear souls believe, that they possess God in the sacrament and that he remains in their churches 
and is carried to them when they are sick. The other day, in a moment of excessive distress, I fell on my knees without thinking when the Blessed Sacrament passed by and cried in an agony to God to bless me if he was there, that my whole soul desired only him. So when she returned back to the United States, she formally entered the Catholic faith, and she spoke of her first confession using the illustration of St. Peter when he was in chains, and he was in prison, and an angel comes and the chains just drop from his, his legs. And she said, that's what I experienced at my first confession, like the chains of all of these sins and years were just dropped, just like the angelic presence had brought about this for Peter, his own liberation from chains. But then she spoke of her first Holy Communion. At last, Amabilia, her sister, at last, God is mine, and I am his. Now let all go its round. I have received him. He has proved well enough to me what he is. And I can say with even more transports than St. Thomas, my Lord and my God. Truly, it is a greater mystery how souls for whom he has done such incomprehensible things should shut themselves out by incredulity from his best of all gifts. This divine sacrifice and the Holy Eucharist, refusing to believe in the spiritual and heavenly order of things, I see more mystery in this blindness of redeemed souls than in any of the mysteries proposed by his church. That was her experience. And she inculcated this in the Sisters of Charity, the American Sisters of Charity that she founded with Father Duberg and Bishop John Carroll, founding the Sisters of Charity. And how many good works that they have accomplished uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ann Seton is a patroness for the American parochial education. As she herself and her sisters taught so many children. And when we look at the scriptures today, <clears throat> St. John points out that there are really two ways that we can live. One, we can belong to the devil, as he puts it. Whoever sins, and really the Greek is saying, whoever makes a practice of sinning. So in other words, just continues to sin. It's not like you have sins and you're sorry and you want to be forgiven. That's a different way of living. But there's a way of living in which, okay, I'm just going to continue the practice of sin. Whoever lives in this way, he says, belongs to the devil. But the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. And so, let children, let no one deceive you. The person who acts in righteousness is righteousness, is righteous. 
And to act in righteousness is to belong to God. That's to belong to God. That's what we want to choose, to belong to God. That's why you're tuned in, hopefully. You want to more and more grow in that life of God and to be, as St. John, we heard in yesterday's reading, that we are the children of God. Embrace that truth. Embrace that truth that you are a child of God. You're called to live a life of holiness, striving for it. Yes, confessing our sins, admitting our faults, but not just continuing to live that practice of sin, which cuts us off from the life of grace, but striving to grow in perfection and holiness and purity, as, as St. John puts it in his first letter. And you know that Jesus asked over a hundred questions in the Gospels? It's an interesting uh, practice to pull up the list of all the questions Jesus asked. He asked over a hundred questions. And often he left them unanswered. So he would ask the question to get us to ponder these things, to think about them more deeply. Here are some of his questions. Who do you say that I am? To Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? To Peter, do you love me? And what's the question he asks in today's gospel? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? That's the deepest question of life, isn't it? What am I looking for? What am I running after? What am I seeing as the goal, the purpose of my life? What am I looking for? Jesus wants us to ponder that question today and to choose the way of righteousness that St. John speaks of, to realize that we are children of God now and to live in that way. He became a child to teach us so many lessons. Because to be a child is to be dependent, to trust, to believe in God's goodness, his trustworthiness, his providence. And one of the characteristics of Elizabeth Ann Seton is she had a great trust in God's providence. That however it worked out, even with her husband's death, and she and her daughter are there praying alongside his bedside, helping him to prepare for death. She could see this as part of God's providence, even in the pain that that entailed. And so we really can trust God. We really can trust in his providence. And that's what the childhood, the infancy of the babe in the manger is teaching us. He's also teaching us the profound love that he has for us. I had a mass, you know, at my sister's home, and I was happy because her son, Craig, and his wife, Mandy, just had a baby two months ago. In fact, it was a two-month um, birthday, if you will, of little Collins Marie. And so I said, you know, I bet, I bet Christmas is especially meaningful for you because this is your first baby. And it really brings home to you 
I would expect that God became a baby in Jesus Christ and the babe of the manger. And just as we are drawn to have a loving affection for that baby, so that's why he becomes a child, so that we too would be moved with a loving affection, not by fear, but a loving affection for the one who became a child, so that we could become truly children of God, living in righteousness, living in holiness, living a saintly life in whatever our circumstances are. Finally, we all were saddened when we heard the news of a death of one of our dear employees, Lee South, which was quite unexpected. She'd worked here for decades. She and her husband, Ned, had worked here. He had passed away in 2006. Lee herself was a widow, like Elizabeth Ann Seton. She was here at daily mass, typically, at the noon mass, the employee mass that we have. She had a great love for the Eucharist. She herself had come from the Episcopalian faith into the Catholic faith. And, and she served the Lord in this mission so lovingly, so cheerfully. Her smile is something that so many of the employees commented on. You see, we're all called to that kind of life, a life that's nourished with the Eucharist that Elizabeth Ann Seton saw as just the heart of their community's life, their nourishment, their strength that transforms us to live a life of service. So I just conclude once again with the opening prayer for today's Mass. O God, who crowned with the gift of true faith St. Elizabeth Ann Seton's burning zeal to find you, grant by her intercession and example that we may always seek you with diligent love and find you in daily service with sincere faith.